up and get a quick sip of water, all that singing. I mean, you guys really sounded great, I'm telling you. We'll do a CD one day. It's going to be awesome. I'll be on the front cover. It's going to be amazing. All right. So last week, um, we were continuing in a message that we're working on. It actually looks like it's going to be about a four-part message. It's called Setting the Stage for Victory. Last week was part two. And this message last week was called Here They Come. And we're doing a little bit of a recap to make sure you're up to speed with what's going on as we continue forward today. So we were correlating um, and what we witnessed with the confrontation that was taking place between the citizens of AI, the warriors of AI, and the Israelite armies. And we correlated that to the battle that Christians face every single day between our flesh and our spirit. First recognizing last week, we we talked about the soldiers that would be lying in ambush. They were called the mighty men of valor. And we noticed in them meekness, a picture of meekness. And what we also noticed, the fact, in that message was the fact that not only were these warriors a picture of meekness, meekness meaning power restrained or power under control, we also saw this in the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who literally was a picture of meekness, who, who chose to hide his incredible power because he knew there was a time when it would be revealed. But he held back that strength. And it was that meekness that we understand that's important for our lives. That in conjunction with a close walk with God. Those set the stage for victory, praise the Lord. And what we saw last week is that stage was being set. We saw that Joshua was in the presence of his people. That peace was brought amongst them. The Bible says that he lodged with them. And that brought a sense of comfort. Because remember, they were preparing for battle. Today we're heading into the battle. They were only preparing. Then Joshua ordained them to the fight. And we recognized last week the fact that, guess what? God's ordained us to a fight. He's ordained us to fight against our flesh, to fight against the desires of this world that try to draw us to destructive habits and things that can hurt us. And recognizing the fact that as we submit ourselves to God, as we ordain or follow follow the ordaining that God's given us, that as we oppose our flesh, we are to to deny it. And the Bible says we're also supposed to mortify it. We're supposed to kill that flesh. And as we do mortify and defy our flesh or deny our flesh, we are accomplishing the work of God. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Okay, we're created for that, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, and each one of these is absolutely essential. Because what's happening is next, God established the battleground, where they were going to fight. Now, for the Israelites, we know that this was a place just east of Jericho. This was near a city called Bethel. But for us, that battleground takes, takes place within us. As we mentioned last week, even while we're sitting here today, the battle is raging as we speak. You're doing your best to concentrate and listen. I know you are. But some of you guys are thinking, you know what? I'm a little hungry. What if I lock my car? Right? These things are running through our minds. So right now, your flesh is trying to draw you away from what it is that you're supposed to hear and what I'm supposed to hear. And I'm praying for my flesh to get out of the way as well. So understand, what we recognize is the fact that our battleground is within us. And what we saw in this, uh, in this last part of our message was the fact that we looked at what enraged the enemies, what inflamed the enemies of God. It was the image of Christ. They saw Joshua, and they came out to fight. And guess what? When our flesh sees Joshua in us, our Joshua, Jesus Christ, when we see this image of God within us, guess what it does? It causes our flesh to want to be inflamed. And so as we're opposing the works of our flesh, we are submitting ourselves to God. 
And so as we're setting the stage for victory, what's happened right now, the forces of AI have come flooding out of the city. Here they come. Joshua uh, 8, 14. We finished up last week with this one. And it says, And it came to pass when the king of AI saw it, speaking of, of Joshua, that they hasted and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at a time appointed before the plain. But he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. So where we left off last week, here AI is emptied of all of its warriors, and here they come running. Remember like Braveheart, stuff like that? Just imagine a bunch of guys screaming with swords and running and yelling and spitting and all that stuff. So that's what's going on right now. That's where we stopped. So here, as we pick back up, recognize the king of AI. He does not know that the mighty men of valor are sitting in place. So this morning, as we start AI's fall, what we'll see in part three, this message is titled, Victory Begins. We're going to start to see things start to fall into place. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit that dwells in our hearts as believers, that it can help us to discern and understand the word. And God, you know that I have prayed and I have sought your face this week. And God, I'm asking you, Lord, please get me out of the way. Please do not let me interfere in any way with what it is you need us to hear. God, this is your word, and I don't want to adulterate it in any way, shape, or form through my flesh. So, Lord, I pray that the battle that's taking place within me even now, Lord, that, God, you would get victory through the Spirit, and, Lord, that you would use this message to grip our hearts and draw us to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so victory begins. Today, we're going to contrast the warfare that's described that we'll see today. We're going to really look at this account, and we're going to compare it to the spiritual warfare, again, that's fighting within us every single day. And as things shift from preparation to actual battle, we see a mobilization of forces. We see them starting to move. So what happens? They're moving from theory into practice. And as things get real, what's going to happen? is they're going to take, we're going to take the successful strategies that we're going to see the Israelites use in this victory and we're going to apply them into our own lives. Because recognize, the battle that they're fighting is a real battle. This took place in history. And guess what? The battle that you're fighting, it is a real battle. Amen. It is just as dangerous and just as destructive, not only for us personally, but for the people that we love, mm. the people that our lives will interact with. So what's happening? As the forces are commanded to move forward, we're going to see them do this. For four points today. We're going to see them run with patience. We'll see them run with purpose. We'll see them run in Joshua's presence. And we'll see them run with power. Joshua 8, verses 15 through 19. It says, And Joshua and all Israel made as it were, as as made as if they were beaten. Okay, they're putting on a front before them and fled by by the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. And they pursued after Joshua, notice the single identity, and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand, Toward the city, and the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city and took it and hasted it and set the city on fire. And as a principle we've been talking about is the fact that the Old Testament is a picture book that God designed to give us re- uh, representations or things that we can identify, that we can see physically. And then the spiritual concepts are taught to us in the New Testament. And the two work together. It's why you're constantly going to find when you come here, we're always going to be tying Old Testament, New Testament, because guess what? It is one completed work by one 
author. So what we're looking at today is God's going to be pulling these things all together. So now we're seeing is the victory starting, uh, we're starting down that road of victory. And what's happening is as this, as this is all starting to take action, what we see is Joshua and his men, they're in full retreat from the forces of evil. Now, unlike the king of Ai, they know why they're running. Okay? The king of Ai does have any idea what's going on. You see, they have a godly insight into why it is they're doing what they're doing. They know what's, what's ahead. And you know what's really wonderful? Is so do we. Do you know? God's given you everything you need in this life. This starts at the beginning of time, and guess what? It goes on into eternity. Everything we need is right here before us. You want to know what's to come? Look in the Bible. You will find it. It's amazing what God's given us. As God teaches us that the victories in our Christian lives will never be from our strength or from our personal wisdom or our experience. It is not about us. It is about the wisdom of God being applied in the life of a believer. Our confidence is in Christ. And what we see is things unfold here. God's army, following God's instru- Joshua's instructions, they're going to retreat from the forces of Ai. And as they do, we're going to see them running with patience. Verse 15, And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. Now the last time they ran from this exact same group, they ran in absolute terror, running for their lives because men were dying as they, as they ran. But see, this time, They run with a sense of assurance. They run with a little glint in their eye. They're like, (laughs) running, right? I don't know if they were grinning, but that's the way I imagine. They're like, you know, whatever. But I I see the world kind of like through comic books, so that's kind of the way I visualize it. Um, But what happens, they have foreknowledge, right? They have foreknowledge of the promise that God gave them. They know why it is they are running. And what happened? Joshua had reassured them just the day before. Before they ever started running, he told them this in Joshua chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. And I and all the people that are with me, okay, this group, will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass when they come out against us as, the fir- as at the first that we will flee before them. He tells them inside here, for they will come after us. Listen, they're going to come. Do we have drawn them from the city? There's a purpose. For they will say they flee before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee from them. Let's let this wall work out. Then ye shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Here's your promise. Here's what's to come. So as you are running in retreat, it's not as a defeated group. It is as a victorious group. And see, Jesus references this same mindset when we go to the book of Matthew chapter 10. In verse 16, he's going to give us what's happening here is Jesus is sending his disciples. He's sending them into hostile territory, not a friendly environment that he's going to send them. So as he sends them out, he's trying to help to make them say, look, don't be intimidated by what's going to happen. I need you to set your eyes and your heart upon the long game, what it is that I'm pointing you to, which is eternity. Listen to what he says in Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Look, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Okay? What is this? Wise as, ser- wise as serpents and harmless. They're to be wise and harmless. He's telling them, listen, though this situation is going to be overwhelming, I need you to have a heavenly perspective. Though you're in a treacherous situation, though you'll be outnumbered, though you'll be overpowered, listen, I don't want you to respond in the way that your flesh wants to respond. I need you to be patient. Right? You be patient. You trust me. Set your sights on the big picture of why I have you here. For you see what facilitates patience? Knowledge. Mm-hmm. Knowledge. It's amazing. 
think about this. Why is knowledge important? Because it gives us an establishment of a resolution. Who's ever been to the DMV? <laughs> when you get there and they give you the number 633,846. And you're like, great, all right. What number is yours, seven? Super. All right. But there's a sense, eventually, they're going to get to your number, right? Because you know it will eventually come to an end. It allows you to go, you know what? If I just hold out, if I just wait, eventually they're going to say, eh, they're going to call me, right? So there's this, this aspect of knowledge. But see, as a Christian, we have an amazing gift. Because recognize, in the world, when things, we don't know what's going on, the world, when we don't have Christ, listen, there's a chaotic aspect of not knowing. Amen. It's hard to have patience in the world because you have no expectation of what's to come. Everything is chaotic. But see, as a Christian, we know that God has a purpose and a plan. So when I don't know the future and I don't know what's going on in the moment, I can be patient, not because I know, but because He knows. That is incredibly important. That's why we can have peace in the midst of storms that no one else can possibly understand. The Bible calls it a peace that passeth all understanding. What does it do? It keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's our faith that allows us to face situations and circumstances that we don't understand. Listen to what he says next to them in Matthew 10, 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He's saying, I need you to set your heart on the big picture of what's going on. He says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. Okay? So if you're going to find your life in this world, you're going to miss out on the eternity and the relationship that I have for you. You're going to find your sustenance here. This is all you're going to get. You're going to lose out on what's really important. But listen to the next part. And he that loseth his life for my sake, he that surrenders himself to my, to my use, that surrenders himself to the life I have for him, shall find it. He shall find true life, true peace, true love, true intimacy with God. He's pointing them to the long game. He's pointing them to eternity. He's referencing their denial of self, their pursuit of him. He's saying, look, trust me. Trust me and my promise over your emotions, over your doubts. And listen, through their patience and willingness to wait on my plan, he's telling them, listen, you'll experience ultimate victory. You'll experience eternity with me. You'll find ultimate peace. And listen, it will be through their denial of self and their willingness to submit to their Joshua, to God's plan that AI will be delivered into the Israelites' hands. Listen, as the Lord instructs us in spiritual warfare, we see in chapter number, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we see a whole explanation of what spiritual warfare is. Listen to what he says in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourself. No. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. No. The world tells us, to be strong in the power of our own might. But God says, no, no, no. You be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So when they run with patience, it's with the knowledge of God's promise. They're fully relying on Him. Yes. Being strong in the Lord and filled with the power of His might. And listen, when you and I go out into this world that is hostile against God and it's hostile against believers... It's not our job to go out and fight this world. It is our job to fight the influence that it has in our life. How much power do we give it to control our decision-making process? How much does it determine our future? Listen, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, it is absolutely real. And as you run the race of life, God's asking us to be patient, 
to be grounded in the knowledge of God's plan for us. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I have a purpose for your life. You don't have to search the universe wondering why you're here. I created you for a love relationship with me. I created you so that your life could impact those around you, so that others who don't have hope can find hope through you as you point them to me. How beautiful is that? And as we surrender to the tactics that he's devised for our victory, what happens? We submit to God's Spirit. And what's cool about that is, guess what? At the same moment while we're submitting to God's Spirit, we are in fact weakening our our flesh. It's through our submission to God's plan and their willingness, their willingness to run, our willingness to run, that the enemies of God at Ai, guess what will happen? They'll be drawn away. The stronghold of Ai is going to lose its strength because of the patience of God's people to do things God's way. Listen, this is important. Listen, in our willingness to walk by faith and not by sight, Mm -hmm. you know what we do? We trust in God's plan. And in trusting God's plan, we weaken the stronghold of the flesh in our lives. We are all in a battle against an enemy that is wicked, powerful, and wants our destruction. And as we run the race of life, the question we have to ask ourselves is, listen, are we running with patience? Because we trust in God's plan? We're putting our faith in Him? Or are we running in fear and doubt? A majority of people that you'll meet in life are running the race of life with fear and doubt. No peace. Listen, if it's the latter of the two, there's one of two reasons. Either we don't know God's Word, and because we don't know God's Word, we don't know God's plan, Or we're defying God's word and we're following our our own plan. See, those both lead to defeat. They both lead to devastation. They both lead to a broken heart. But today's not about that. Today's about victory. So we've seen them run with patience. Next, they'll run with purpose. Verse 16 and 17. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. So here we see God's plan falling into place. The warriors of Ai, man, they come flooding out of the city. And keep in mind, Joshua and his men are still running patiently at this moment, right? They're pouring out behind them. So they are able to, to recognize the purpose of their feigned retreat. They can look over their shoulders and hear the roar of those men. Imagine thousands of men with swords and shields running, thundering across the ground. And they're looking back over their shoulder and they know what's going to happen. Because recognize, they're going to see confidence in the the eyes of the men of Ai. Because as we know, God told us that they would see this as a victory before. They would see this just as it was before. We got this. The men of Ai would be thinking this is an easy deal. They fell before us before. Guess what? They're going to fall again. So here they pour out with confidence in themselves. And can I tell you, that is a road to destruction. The more confidence you put in yourself, the more you're setting yourself up to fall. Listen, confidence in self instead of God manifests itself as pride. That's how it appears. Psalm 118.8 says this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence 
in man. Because you know what pride does? Pride is the root of all sin. The destruction of mankind. By way of pride, Proverbs 16, 18, and 19. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction. Spiritual destruction. Verse 19. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. So what he's calling us to, right? The Spirit of God manifests himself in mankind as humility. But the flesh manifests itself as pride. Again, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. In the mind, you know what it sounds like? Hmm. Will I sin? Or will I honor God? Will I sin or will I honor God? It's that easy. It's that simple. That's what runs through our minds. That's what we think. The question is, which way will we turn? Which one wins? The one that's stronger. The one that's stronger. Listen, if we had two 4,000-pound oxen in here, imagine like a giant buffalo. Let's imagine Peter's one buffalo and Eric's another buffalo, right? Well, let's say that we starve Peter, right? We're going to chain the two of them together. They're going to have a tug of war. We've got a, a, a little tassel hanging right here, and he's got to pull it to this side of the room. And we're going to hook the two of them up, and they're going to pull. When I blow the whistle, man, they're going to pull with all their might. But we starve Peter. We don't give him water. We don't let him rest. Eric, on the other hand, eats sumptuously. You know Eric. He does. <laughs> he's stuffing his face. Sleeping 12, 14 hours a day, drinking water. That's not the live reality. He wishes it was. But we take really good care of him. And then we blow that whistle. Who's going to win? Eric. All day long. Whichever one you feed will be the one that will win. In the battle between the flesh and the spirit, man. Who are you feeding? Who are you feeding? Who gets your time, energy, and attention? Who gets the resources? The world wants to eat up everything. And our spirit is clinging and calling us to godliness. And you know what? We feed the Word. We feed it. We feed it the Word. You know how we water it? Man, we spend time in the Spirit. We walk with God. We feed our spirit and our, and our walk with God. Man, we can, we can have devastating effects on the enemy if we'll, feed the flat, if we'll feed the Spirit. Because what's happening right now, these Israelites are sold out to God. They are perfectly executing God's plan to a T. And you know what? Because you know what also? Knowledge empowers not just patience. It it also empowers purpose. They know why they are running. They know why they are running. Their job is to lure the army of AI out of the city, thus weakening its stronghold. And when we equate this to the spiritual battle that we fight, between the flesh and the spirit. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are physical beings, we do not war after the flesh. Our battle's not out here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Catch that. Mighty through God to the what? To the pulling down of strongholds. <coughs> to the pulling down of strongholds. Can I tell you, your flesh is constantly fortifying itself. It's constantly strengthening itself. It's constantly preparing for battle. 
It is a stronghold in many people's lives, so much so that they have no victory over it at all. But how do we do that? How do we pull down the strongholds? Well, I'm glad you asked, because God tells us. Verse number five, casting down imaginations. Who has the ability to come up with scenarios that are worse than reality? <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. Oh, my goodness gracious. We picture how things could work out. It's like, oh, my word. Oh, it's going to be unbelievable. Never happens. But, boy, we can certainly create these imaginary situations that are unbelievable. And he says, and he says we're casting down imaginations and every high thing. A high thing is something that places itself as importance over God. Mm-hmm. That exalteth itself against the, notice this, the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Notice. And bring into captivity every thought. This is a battle here in the mind. What? To the obedience of Christ. Guys, that's where the battle rages. It's here. It's here. When you wake up in the morning, that's where it starts. It comes down to who's in charge. Who's on the throne of our life? Who's calling the shots? Is Christ on the throne of your life, determining your choices and guiding your life? Or are you the one that makes all the choices? Notice what it says in verse 5 as it closes out. We are to bring everything to the obedience of Christ. So we run the race of life with purpose, patiently trusting God for the outcome. And as we do, guess what we do? We weaken the power of our flesh. Notice verse 17. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel, and they left the city open. Not only is it empty, but they left the door wide open and pursued after Israel. So filled with confidence, man. What happens? Ai is stripped of its strength. You know why? Because they're fueled with pride and driven by emotion. And they, city, they leave the city defenseless. And understand, in this weakened state, AI is going to easily fall. It's no problem at all. And listen, when our flesh is well fortified, when it's supplied and it's cared for, it's really hard to beat. You know what's amazing? The only thing that can, can, that can contend toe-to-toe with God is our flesh. Is that unbelievable? The power that created this universe, that created everything we see, and yet we can stand in opposition to Him because God gifted us with something called free will. You know why He gave us free will? Because without free will, love cannot exist. And you know why God created us? For a love relationship. A love relationship. And if He ordered us to love Him, it wouldn't be love. If He controlled us to love Him, it wouldn't be love. Love is a free choice. And when we choose to give our hearts to God, mm-hmm. <laughs> bless you. He experiences the love that He created us for. Our flesh doesn't want that to happen. So it's constantly trying to draw us away from Him. Notice this. As it's stripped away of its strength, because understand, when our flesh is drained of its power, <coughs> because we're following God and because we're surrendered to His plan, because we're seeking holiness, which is what we're supposed to be doing, did you know that the flesh is no match for the Spirit? No problem at all. So we've seen the Israelites run with patience and run with purpose. Next, they'll run in Joshua's presence. Verse 18. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand 
toward the city. Remember whenever Joshua showed up, or whenever Jesus showed up back in Joshua chapter 5? Do you remember he wasn't carrying a spear? He was carrying a sword, right? He held out a sword. And we're going to look at a correlation today between the spear and the sword. We see here that Joshua's faithfully leading his men. He's being given the signal to set the next phase into action by way of a spear. And what's interesting is a spear shows up 57 times in your King James Bible. And what's interesting about the spear is it always has the same connotation, destruction. It is always a symbol of war. That's all it is. It always It's related to fangs or it's related to some kind of a destructive force. But then we think about a sword. And what's interesting is the fact that the sword actually has dual meanings. We see the fact that a sword shows up and it's referenced certainly for war. It's certainly used to battle. It's certainly used to fight. But what's interesting is I want to correlate today. I'm going to talk about the sword. The spear, understand, it's clear. It's an item of war. But listen to this. Ephesians 6.17 says this, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the spear has one purpose, which is to battle. The sword has dual purpose. It can be a defensive weapon and it can be an offensive weapon. It can be an item for use actually for healing, in fact, because the Word of God can heal. While it will certainly sometimes cut us to the quick, ouch, that hurt. At the same time, man, it can, it can heal us. Now understand this in Revelation 19, verse 21. Not only is it referencing the Word of God, but it also referenced the words of God. And it says in verse 19, 21, Jesus speaking, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Jesus isn't speaking, but it's referencing him. This is the devastating word. God is going to lay waste to the war, to the, to the armies of this world with a word. And it's referenced as a sword. But what's interesting is the fact that it's not always just God's words. What's interesting is that we look through Scripture, many times the sword is actually talking about the tongue. It's talking about humanity speaking. Psalm 64.3 says this, Who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot the arrows, even bitter words. Proverbs 25.18, A man that beareth false witness against thy, his neighbor is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. Isaiah 49.2, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. Hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft in this quiver that he hid me. And we look at this, there's, a, there's a, an activity. So we look at the spear. The spear is a symbol of war. It is a symbol of conflict. The sword has a dual meaning. It can be, but one of the things I want to pay attention to is the fact that the sword is, an, is, a, is a weapon of intimacy. Because think about this, the words that we use sometimes can be so tender, so loving. But at the same time, there are words that can be come out of someone's mouth that we love that can cut us deeper than anything in the world. So there's a destructive power and a healing power. But the spear does not contain that. The spear does not. It is an impersonal weapon. It is used for war. It has one purpose, to wage war. And that's just what's being signaled here. Because recognize, God does not want us to be intimate with our flesh. This is an impersonal fight. We don't negotiate with our flesh. We don't, uh, we don't have uh, a willingness to concede to our flesh. It is a war. The two stand opposed. The flesh and the spirit will never come together. They will always be direct carnal enemies. Understand what it says in Romans 5, 8, verses 5 through 8. For they, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. They're one or the other. 
For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's his enemy. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If our flesh has control, we are not pleasing God. But if the Spirit has control, man, God can look into our life and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we see this desire to please God. This is going to bring the victory for them over their enemy. God's people are looking to their Joshua. They're putting their faith in him for the victory. And what's God's asking of them? He's wanting to orchestrate God's plan for victory. And understand, God's asking the same thing of us. He wants to orchestrate his plan for our victory over the flesh. He's calling us to run this race of life with patience. Willing to trust Him no matter what our circumstances tell us. No matter what things appear. We're to run with purpose. Knowing why we're here. And what it is He's called us to do. We're to run in the presence of our Joshua. Walking in fellowship with Him as He leads us to our victory. Because recognize this. After giving the signal, oh man, what happens next? The main army... They're continuing to run, but here come the mighty men of valor, the ones that are lying in ambush, and they're going to run with power. Verse 19, and the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city and took it and hasted and set the city on fire. And listen, and it will be because these men were where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be doing, that when God called them, they could respond so quickly. And when you and I are where we are supposed to be, doing what we are supposed to be doing, we can respond to God's call. Recognize the fact that, listen, these dedicated warriors, they're functioning as instruments of God. That's their purpose. They're accomplishing God's will. And when God calls us, if we are where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, God can do the exact same thing with us. In this world, man... There's a work to be done. Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says this, For it is God which worketh in you, hello, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So God's called us to do His work, to touch the lives of people around us, to love, to show charity. Charity is the love of God manifested through humanity. That's what's supposed to drive all that we do. Because what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, If I do all that I do and I have not charity, it is nothing. It is of no use whatsoever. I could give my body to be burned, literally. I could offer myself as a sacrifice. And guess what? If I don't have charity, it was useless. So God's calling us to love our world. And He says this, Do all things without murmurings or disputings. Don't complain and whine because God's called you to do something. You see someone who's going through a struggle and you go, Man, I don't want to get involved in that. Oh, man. You know how they are. God, they're just going to talk. And I'm going to have to hear, oh, blah, blah, blah. No. Listen. If God opens the door for that conversation, deny yourself and go talk to them. Be the support that they need. Because there will be a day when you're the one that's blubbering and crying and, you're, and they're going to be going, Ugh. Right? Let's hope not. But what if we just said, you know what? If there's a need, I'll do it. I'll be where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to do, loving God's Word, defying defying my flesh, trusting in the Spirit, following the leading, and if, God, you call me to do it, I guess what? I'll be ready to go. Whatever it is, wherever it is. 
Holly went to Malawi not because she was like, man, I can't live in a third world country and struggle. No. Because you know what? When God called her, she was like, you know what? Okay. I'll go. I'll go. And that's the key. Are we willing to do what God calls us to do? Because the next thing He says this in verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, notice this, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, which we live in right now, among whom, what do we do? You shine as lights in the world. We are not the source of light. We are a reflection of that light. We shine not, we are not the lights. We shine as lights. The picture in nature is the sun and the moon. The sun shines all the time. Guess when it's night here? Guess what? The sun does not turn off. When you're a little kid, you're like, man, how do they shut that thing off? Doesn't happen that way. The sun shines all the time. God's love is all the time. God's love is all the time. His light is all the time. But guess what? Our world right now is in a spiritual night. When Jesus ascended from this earth, the light of the world left this earth. The sun left the earth. And the sun, once it was gone, left darkness. So we're in a spiritual night, and it sits upon us right now. But you and I, as dead rocks, just like the moon, what's our job? To shine as lights in the darkness amidst a crooked and perverse nation. The question is, are we shining? Are we truly shining? The people around you know. The people you meet when they go to the store. When they mess something up in the restaurant. And you lovingly let, let them know. How many of us fall prey to our flesh sometimes when we interact with people? And we get done, we're like, oh, that wasn't good. That was no light in that one. Yikes. We can't go back and change it. Well, you can go back and apologize, obviously. By all means, if you mess things up, go back and make it right. But listen. If we're surrendered to the Spirit, guess what? The Spirit comes out. If we're surrendered to our flesh, the flesh comes out. We are called to be lights. And so here, in this fight with AI, different groups were called to different responsibilities. The mighty men of valor, what was their job? Their job was to sack the city. That was what they were called to do. The other men, the soldiers, they were to weaken the city by drawing away the forces, the defenses from the city. They're working together to accomplish God's will. Both displaying meekness. One through hiding, one through running. And listen, there are sometimes there are going to be things that we're going to be called to do that may make us feel awkward or uncomfortable. It may go against what we want to do. Sometimes we want to lash out. Who's ever wanted to lash out and just... Okay, yeah, I'm, you don't have to raise your hand on that one, but I was going to say, and then holding it back. <laughs> that was the part I would hope to do. But we hold back. We don't lash out. But we go, you know what? Lord, you know what? Help me to see this situation the way that you would have me to see it. This person, you know what? People that hurt people, you know why they hurt people? Because they're hurting themselves. I have no idea what's going on in their life. I don't know what's going on in their family. God, help me to be somehow a light in the midst of this situation where this is a tough, that's a tough moment. But will I shine or will I allow my flesh to take control? They are walking in patience, are running in patience and purpose with their Joshua. And listen, while they may appear weak, they are actually running with power. We know this. Not in their own wisdom, not in their own strength, but in submission to God. And so when we appear weak sometimes, many times, guess what? We are in fact strong because we know why we're doing it. We're trying to impact this person's life for the cause of Christ. And did you know in the internal battle, if we take this and we take the flesh and, and we recognize the fact that what's going on, 
Recognize your flesh, our flesh, it's not smart. It is not smart. Just look at the decisions, bless you, that our flesh makes. I cannot tell you how many times, God bless you, as a young man, full of the flesh, knew nothing else. I can't tell you how many times I found myself in situations where I was like, how did I end up in this mess? Holy moly, what in the world? And you know, there was never a point whenever my flesh was like, uh, uh, just so you know, this is going to be terrible. This is going to work out horrifically. This is a road to destruction. No, my flesh was like, this is going to be great. You should do it. The flesh is filled with confidence. It thinks the world of itself. It believes in its own strength. And man, you know, it's ready to go. The problem is, so many times we look at this and we go, wow, you know what? I, I, I want to do what's right. But our flesh is drawing us to do what's, what's wrong. I thought, think about it. How many of us, since being saved, have consciously made destructive, sinful choices? Okay? And when we look back before we made the choice, was there any indicator from the flesh that that's the way it was going to go? Nope. As far as the flesh was concerned, this is a done deal. It's going to be amazing. But yet the Bible teaches us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He warns us, and as Christians, we still make bad choices. The flesh reassures us that everything's going to go great. And then we find out later that God was right. And you know what's amazing? is all during that time. Will I sin? Or will I honor God? And we choose sin. God sees it. He sees it and he allows it. Why? You know what? Because he knows this. That once our flesh commits its forces decides to battle the flesh, the stronghold gets weaker. And it's just a matter of time when you sell yourself out to the flesh as a Christian mm -hmm. that you're going to get weak. And that stronghold that used to be so powerful because the world's going to eat you <coughs> up and spit you out and the results of sin always are destructive. Right. And as it wears us down physically and emotionally and spiritually, you know what God's going to do? He'll have a mighty man of valor. A brother or a sister who when you are broken, you're defenseless and you are ready. You're just you're completely wide open to destruction. God, you know what? He says, I'm gonna send in an ambush. And there's a brother or sister that's gonna come alongside you. They're gonna bring victory over the flesh because of the support that they give you. And listen, that might be you today. Maybe you're that one. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're ready. If someone had a need, you said, man, I'm there for you. Or maybe you're the other one. Maybe you're the one struggling. I don't know. Can I tell you that God loves you? And he has set the stage for victory. It set the stage for victory for the broken to be restored. For the people that are, that are living fearful to experience faith. For those that are overwhelmed with hopelessness to find hope. Because he has a plan 
for our, our lives. In response to our flesh's re- rebellion, he's using his people, his word, his spirit to draw humanity back into fellowship with him. And listen, if you need to be restored, let today be your day. There's no reason to wait. Because if we can apply what we learned today, you know what the name of the message was? Victory begins. If you have been defeated and you've been overrun and you are broken, God is ready, willing, and able to restore you even as we speak. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your word, for the truth that you have laid out in Scripture, the incredible pictures we can witness and see through these battles that took place thousands of years ago, and understanding the correlation that you've taught us spiritually for the same battle that we're fighting even at this moment. And Lord, as I pray for my brothers and sisters, I do pray, Father, that you help us. Lord, we're all battling at some level. I pray, Father, that you'd fortify the spirit. And Lord, that you would weaken the flesh. Help us to surrender our desires to yours. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today, and nobody's looking around, but I'm just going to ask you personally, if you're here today and you said, look, I don't know where I stand with God. 20 years ago, someone asked me a question. They said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, I hope so. But I really didn't know. And that person, thank God, they took the word of God and they showed me that I was a sinner. And I knew it. And they showed me that Christ was the solution. That he died on that cross to pay the price that I could never pay. Because the penalty for my sin was death. Separation from God forever. And Jesus had made a way through his death to restore me. To restore the relationship that had been broken because of the sin of my life with a God who loved me, that he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was just a matter of me being willing to receive it. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Lord is offering this gift to the world. Individually, we have to receive it. There's no magic prayer. There's there's no ceremony. It's just a broken heart willing to receive God. And as he's calling your heart today, you know it. If you're watching this online, you're watching this recorded, and he's calling you. It's just as simple as all you have to do is receive the gift. So what I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to pray. Like I said, it's not magic prayer. There's nothing in regards to what we're going to say, but it's your heart. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here and you want to receive him, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, you can talk to God in your heart and mind. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Repeat after me if you want to talk to him, you want to receive his gift. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for my sin. I understand that it separates me from you. And it sets me on a path of destruction. I believe that you are who you say you are that you died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. 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 Amen.